0: Comedian Michael Jr. is hailed as one of today's most gifted comics with appearances on The Tonight Show, Oprah, CNN, and more. His clean yet fresh approach of using everyday life occurrences creates a hilarious interaction with the audience that is unscripted and unplanned. Michael Jr. will be bringing the funny at Emanuel in Spring Lake Park, Minnesota, on Sunday, May 21st at 5 p.m. For tickets, visit michaeljr.com.
1: Well, it's good to be back in church today and uh, with so many friends. I want to give a big shout out to each of our campuses and all that God is doing in Maple Grove and Elk River and Spring Lake Park, but also those that many will watch online or in other places. Even more recently, I've been bouncing into people that say, yeah, I saw you on TV and, uh, and I'll go, oh, really? And I didn't even, I don't even know what they saw. I don't know what I was saying. I didn't know if they liked me or not. <laughs> but uh, they've seen me in different places. You know, really, the story of Emmanuel is being heard in many different places. And uh, I hope that you're praying that God uses our church to touch the world. Amen? And uh, whether it be through our worship music or it be through our lives as salt and light when we go out, that He would use us and grow us. We're in week number three of Mile Markers, our series on what it means to follow Jesus. Of course, Peter said that, that we are to follow in his steps, and Jesus' steps, to grow up in him and to follow him. And there are stages of development and growth that we've talked about. And I've used uh, the chairs on our platform as an example of the stages of growth, both for human beings as well as for us in our spiritual maturity. The infant stage of spiritual growth is one where we receive Jesus, but we don't know what we're doing yet. We, don't, we haven't uh, learned to feed ourselves yet. We don't know the basics, and so somebody else feeds us, and then we grow, and uh, just like little children are trained by their parents in our faith, we grow and people tells us the right, tell us the right and the wrong. They show us the way to go. And, uh, you know, when parents are training their kids, they say, don't touch the stove because it's hot and it will burn you. And there are do's and don'ts involved in that. And children simply learn to obey their parents. But as they grow older and they hit the adolescence phase, there's something that happens both with real life teenagers and young adults as well as spiritually people who are in this stage. And that is they begin to not just listen for someone else's uh, uh, dictates and rules and laws, but they want to know for themselves. They don't want just their parents' faith, they want their own faith. And they begin to ask questions about everything, and it's a great why. Why is it this way? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do I got to go to church every week? Why is it that we give in the offering? And there's a lot of whys, and they're not bad because it's moving from faith owned by and directed by someone else to our own faith. That's good. That's a good process to be. If you keep moving through it, if you learn what you need to in this phase, then you move to spiritual maturity and adulthood in the faith where you settle it in your soul and there's a sense of, I know that God is faithful even though I'm in a difficult season. Because he's been faithful to me before, I know he's going to get me through this. I'm not questioning God and his faithfulness and his love and his kindness because I know he's been too good to me. And mature Christians have a responsibility to go back and mentor people through these other phases. If you don't, you aren't truly spiritually mature if all you're doing is feeding yourself. When you are spiritually mature, you learn to turn and look backward. That's what all of the epistles in the New Testament talk about, the older teaching the younger, and that's not just age or chronology, it's also a spiritual maturity thing. We are responsible to train up and bring people along in the journey. I know in my story, I've had people walk me through each of the phases, but many people today, they get here and they stop being mature, they revert to earlier phases where it's all about me and selfish perspectives and, and what does it mean for me and, and church is evaluated, Christians are evaluated by what the pastor does for me, the church does for me and we lose sight. We can actually move from maturity back to an earlier phase. So what I've been challenging our church these last three weeks is to say that we need to learn to be obedient at every stage of the journey. Learn what you need to here. Seek spiritual guidance here. Move through this phase. But don't get stuck on spiritual teenage years. Grow in faith move to the next phase, and obedience is the pathway to get there. That was what we talked about last week. We have baptisms here at our churches. people took a step of faith in baptism, and they stepped out and they said, I'm going to follow what Jesus is telling me to do, and they followed him in baptism. But if you don't follow in obedience at every stage of the journey, you're following another leader. So we need to learn to be obedient at all times at every stage and phase of our journey today, to give you an illustration of a real-life person, who I think is uh, been on that journey within Team Emmanuel, volunteers at Emmanuel, and staff at Emmanuel. People, we're all Team Emmanuel, serving in our various ministries. And uh, Pastor Allison is going to introduce you to one of our great teammates. why do not you come right now? And uh, she's going to give an interview to, get, to share the story. Would you give it up for these two as they come up? to show the process of growth.
2: Well, good morning. Um, I am Pastor Allison. I work in the kids ministry here at Emanuel, and I have the privilege of introducing you all to a dear friend of mine named Tammy Hubert, who is one of our volunteers. So a lot of you don't know Tammy, so why don't you tell them a little bit about your story and how you started coming?
3: Thank you, Allison. I grew up in Coon Rapids. I had uh, two brothers, a mom, a dad. My dad's here, so I'm really excited. And my grandma lived with us as well. And I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was a child. And I got really involved with youth group and was baptized when I was in youth group. I really, though, got close to God when my mom died of cancer. And I was 29 at the time. And if any of you have ever lost someone, you know how horrible it is. And you have to live this new reality where that person isn't in it. And it was really hard for me. I, at that point, I just really like fell into God's arms. And I use that word, fell into his arms, intentionally because it wasn't walking to God or even running to God. I just fell because I was crying a lot and I was praying a lot. I really just didn't know what to do. I remember when... Shortly after all this had occurred, I was talking to my dad, and my dad said, my mom belonged to Jesus. And, and that was something that I didn't fully understand, and I really do now, and that I know I'll get to see my mom one day. And during that whole time, I just really leaned on God, and he took care of me. He healed me. He cared for me. He surrounded me with a lot of people that gave me a lot of love. And during the transition, when my mom moved from her earthly home to her heavenly home, God just really loved me. And that's one thing I'm very thankful for and very, very blessed with.
2: Well, that is just an awesome story about your mom. But you didn't grow up here at Emmanuel. Um, how, when did you start coming here?
3: Yes, I actually grew up going to a Baptist church, and I started coming to Emmanuel six years ago. I lived right across the street, so I thought, oh, here's a nice building, a nice church. Let me try and see what I thought, and after I came, I fell in love with Emmanuel, and I found it to be my home, and at that point, I... Wanted something more, and I wanted to get more involved. But I've been um, coming into Manual for six years, and I have been serving in ministry for two years.
2: Yeah. And you decided to join the kids ministry. Why did you decide to join kids ministry two years ago?
3: Well, I started uh, serving Pastor Nate during a service. Asked everyone in the congregation to start serving God and start serving and I wanted to serve and I went to starting point which is a class that is here at Emmanuel and they introduce everyone to all the different areas that you can serve and I wanted to do kids ministry
2: yeah so first day you jump into serving were you excited were you nervous how did you feel
3: I was really scared (laughs) Because I don't have kids, and I didn't know if I could do this because I didn't have any formal training in ministry or in child development. I was a film major in college. I. Was very scared, but I was really surrounded by Pastor Allison and everyone on board and coaches, and everyone was so loving and encouraging and caring. And the people here at Manuel were professionals and had kids and had been serving for a long time, and those were the folks that I got to be around. And so I really learned from them and benefited from all of their years of experience. And so it really turned out to be such a blessing.
2: Well, um, a couple months ago, um, I asked you to step into a role like that, into a coach role, which is someone who helps train up our new kids' leaders to help them be as confident as Tammy was in her first two days. So how did you feel about stepping into that role?
3: I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I didn't know I could do it. And Pastor Ellison had more confidence in me than I did in myself. And one thing I know that you shared with me that I still remember is I wanted to still be with the kids in my class. And I didn't necessarily know if I wanted to be a coach. And Allison said, when God calls you to do something and you step into that role, whether you know you can do it or not, if you step into that role, you make room for someone else to step into the role that you were just in. And see, it's not really about what I thought I could do or any special skills that I had. It was about what God could do. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's exactly what happened. Anywhere I lacked, God provided. God was there. God taught me. So it really wasn't what I was going to be doing, but it was what God was going to be doing. And as a coach, I was able to pour into all the teachers and still get to see the kids and be with the families and have relationships with them. The kids just thrive in kids' ministry. And they're just such a blessing to me. I really have so much fun. And just getting into service is like, one of the best things in my whole life.
2: Well I am just so honored to be a part of your story just to help you walk through this journey and I'm just so excited for where you're going to go. Thank you guys so much for letting us come up and for thank you, Tammy, for sharing your story today. Thank you yep.
1: Give it up. We have some stellar people here in our church that I just think are heroes and they're the type of people that I just go, just simple faith, just step out and say yes and get involved. And not only do others benefit, but you grow in the process. Today, I'm going to lock in on uh, a title of my messages, A Generous Soul. In Matthew chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Jesus makes a statement to people that we're going to follow him. And again, we are talking about following in Jesus' steps. But Jesus had said in Matthew 16, verse 24, he said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul is anything worth more than your soul this is a very interesting passage because in a world where selfishness reigns supreme even today i mean people's goals are to look at their facebook page and see how many likes they got on a post or on instagram or uh, just to be noticed it's, it's it's amazing to me how selfishness reigns supreme And everyone feels like they have a right to be the king, to be the one noticed, the one served, the one that everybody else is surrounding, the world's revolve around us. And our culture is steeped in that, too, so much so that you can go through a drive through And if the, if the line is too slow and the order isn't correct, rage can come outside of us, true. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a sense of entitlement in a, in a very real, real way that has woven itself into our culture. And Jesus declares that there's a better way. We can turn from our selfish ways, and we all have them, and we can pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And his way is opposite to every law, every voice it seems that's in our world. He says, try, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll what? You'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. This is an interesting statement. He's talking about your soul. And uh, a soul... Biblically speaking, a soul is everything that you are, it's your body, it's your mind, and it's your spirit. Now, many of you may have heard different teaching at different times that collapse words into different things. But at the end of the day, everybody has a spirit. Your spirit will live forever, okay? Okay. When you get saved, it's your spirit that is transformed, all right? Everyone has a mind. In the realm of the mind includes emotions, feelings. Uh, It goes all over the place sometimes. How many of you, your mind, sometimes you're like, I can't, I've lost my mind, (laughs) all right? And then your body. And this is an area that many people don't consider to be religious, but the Bible says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when Jesus is talking about the soul, he is talking about all of this. And he's essentially saying the rest of the world is wanting you to worship your body. The rest of the world wants you to take your mind and focus in on something else or your spirit. And Jesus is saying if you chase everything else, if you're selfish, if you're trying to win your life, accomplish things, accumulate all kinds of stuff so that you feel better, in the process you literally lose your soul. Something is lost. You're not what you could be. You know, we're made in God's image. And he is generous. If God is generous, then we can become generous And Jesus is essentially saying, if you follow me, your soul will become beautiful. You know what a beautiful soul looks like? A beautiful soul is a a person that brings life to people around them. A soul that is damaged, a soul that is not full of that life and is selfish, sucks the life out of the room. How many of you have ever been around a life sucker? Okay. Okay. A life sucker, they have a bad attitude, they're worried about themselves, they're always complaining, whatever it is, it's a good um, a, a relevation, revelation, revelation, Revelation. a good revelation might be if you see that person, not, they're not a bad person, they're a sick person. Something in their soul is damaged. And Jesus says, if you follow me, your damaged soul will be transformed. And the way it's transformed is by picking up a cross and following. It's denial of self in a unique way. And you'll become a lifesaver instead of a life sucker. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a (laughs) lifesaver. Now, as we follow Jesus, one of the mile markers, remember, if you're growing and you're growing in faith and becoming more and more like Jesus, what are the indicators that you're becoming more like him? One of the most significant mile markers of following Jesus is generosity. Generosity. Say that word with me. Generosity. Now, generosity is a family value. It's something that's in the family of God. Generosity is one of his family attributes. For God so loved the world that he what? So how many know he gave even though we weren't worth giving to? He While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is a generous heart that's not based on the worthiness of those that are receiving. Some people think they're generous, but they only give to people that they think are worth giving to. They only serve people that they think are good enough. They only love their children if they behave correctly. But the love of God is an unconditional love that gives. It's generous. And a generous soul is a soul that, because God meets all of our needs, we can take the risk to be generous. Because God loves us, we too can be generous. But friends, we learn to be generous. You aren't born that way. All I got to do is take you down to the two-year-old classroom here at the church. Some of you probably think, well, the first words of those two-year-olds was daddy and mommy, but no, it's mine. Right? It's built into the DNA that we want to serve ourselves, get our things, and we have to be disciplined, parented, and we grow in our generosity, our ability to overcome. Listen. Listen. In our culture, we are in an on-demand culture where we get our personal preferences whenever we want to get whatever we want. Isn't that true? And I'll tell you where it gets into the church is when we want to pull out our phone on Sunday morning and we want to create our own personal volume. Where you stand, I want this temperature, I want this level of volume from the sound system, I want, I want the preacher to, to be nice to me, to not, not step on my toes today, uh, I, I want everybody to smile at me, I want somebody to tell me my hair looks good. And, and they, they go through their list of preferences and they think that that's the way, they, uh, listen friends, that's two-year-old Christianity. That's what that is. That's two-year-old Christianity. People become mature believers, learn to grow and sacrifice their time, their attention, their gifts to help others and are willing to be inconvenienced. Now, parents are responsible to teach their kids how to overcome selfishness, invest in others. They learn to take responsibility and not just be a taker. They teach their kids that faith isn't someone else's responsibility. They teach them to own their responsibilities and grow into their opportunities and to not be a victim. If there's one thing that keeps coming out of when I study the word and I'm preaching and I pray for our church, one of the things I feel strongly is the Lord compelling me to challenge you to not be a victim. To not sit there and think that you'll be able to forgive once somebody else forgives you. Or that you'll be able to step up once you get that girl or that guy to be your husband or your wife. Or once you get that promotion or that job or graduation, sometime in the future, that will make you. No, you need to think in terms of where you are right now. Where you are right now, you are not a victim of circumstances. You're not a victim of somebody else's choices. Through Jesus Christ, you can do everything through Christ who gives you strength. You can make it where you are right now. And you can be generous from wherever you are right now. And the starting point of generosity is this, knowing who we depend on. That's the starting point. You don't become generous without recognizing who you depend on. James 1:17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father. Friends, that's why we worship. Some of you are like, I put up with the singing time in church. Why do we sing in church? Why do we worship? You know why? because it reminds us where our help comes from. When we begin to sing and we begin to worship, we begin to connect with our Father. And when we live apart from him, we have a deficit. We can't make it without him. He is the giver of everything we need. So we worship every time we gather together, not because we like or not like a song, not because uh, that's what the pastor makes us do, but we worship God because it reminds us of who we get our help from. Our help comes from the Lord. That's why we worship. And as we learn that he owns it all and we can trust him, then the biblical concept that we have to live by is this, God owns it all. Say that with me, God owns it all. That means he owns your house, your apartment building, he owns your business, he owns your relationships. He is the owner. It's not Steve Jobs, who's gone on over a company. It's not some great, uh, it's not even the President of the United States. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Ultimately, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So when you recognize that in your soul and you apply it on a day-by-day basis, and you know that he owns it all, it gives you a freedom to step out and benefit those that are around you. If you don't recognize that, you're overwhelmed by your need and the changes of, the, of life around you. Somebody talks behind your back or isn't kind to you or you lose your job and now all of a sudden your soul is plunged into a place where it's not giving life to anyone around you anymore. And the biblical concept of God owning it all is really important. Then what we have, we are to be stewards of. We are responsible to guard and take care of. Whatever finances we have, we are responsible to take care of them. Be good stewards of those things that he's given us. Our relationships, we're responsible to take care of our relationships. And if there was, you know, when you teach little kids stuff, you you teach them the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, come on, Q, R, S, T, U, W, Y, now. Give yourselves a hand. That's really good. You learn the ABCs so that you can learn to read, right? And when you read, then you can learn. And when you learn, you can grow. And when you grow, you can make money. You can do things with what you learn. You can improve your relationships, all right? But it starts with ABCs. The ABCs of stewardship begin with the tithe. The ABCs of stewardship begin with the tithe. Because where your heart is, Jesus said in Luke 12, 34, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So if you want to keep your heart in a place where you're trusting that God owns it all, you tithe. It's a biblical principle. It's 10% of everything that you receive financially. But also, I would say time. It's giving it back to God because he owns it all. I was talking to a veteran pastor this week. Somebody's been doing a couple decades longer than me. And I was just talking about things that were difficult to preach and things that weren't difficult and how did he handle it. And I asked him what was the most important and difficult thing for him. He said it wasn't in the preaching. It was in actually one-on-one ministry. He said when it came time for him to counsel people who have been fighting obstacles left and right in their depression or expenses or relational obstacles, the most difficult challenge he's had to have is challenging people to trust God where they are. Not where they wish they were, but where they are. And uh, sometimes the most difficult challenge that he's had is to sit with a single parent who feels all alone with overwhelming financial obstacles, but a desire to move forward. And you'd think some of them are working two and three jobs, handling kids, and it's overwhelming. And he had one single mom come in to meet with them, and he asked her, do you want God to help you? And she said, of course. He said, then you have to begin with the tithe. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You are fighting the world but not yielded to God in your heart. Get your heart in the right place and then see what God can do. So she made the difficult step and started to tithe. And God God started sending her friends to help with her kids. She got favor in her job. And she didn't know how God was giving her emotional and physical and spiritual increase. She had to yield to God with the tithe first. She had to drop the seed into the ground and sow before there would be a different harvest in her life. The good news, God sent her a husband who happened to be wealthy. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the point. So many times we measure where we are and God's ability by our amount that we have in the bank account. When really it's not about the amount, it's about our heart. And when we choose to trust God, listen, this is not a message because the church needs your money. This part of the message is actually challenging you to make sure your heart really is following God. If your treasure is in everything but God, how can your heart be in trusting him? It's impossible. So you got to get it right in the right order if you want his benefits on the other side. And when you yield to God the 10%, you begin to feel a sense of ease about other things in your life. It's not perfect, but you don't have to hold on to stuff. You don't have to worry about people stealing from you because your heart is free. God has got this. And when we yield to God's leadership in our life, he begins a process of promotion and increase. He takes whatever we give him, and then he measures what we're doing, and then he grows us. He trusts us with whatever level we have, and he gives us more. God gives each person a different amount of time and talents and influence. And when, if, when or if we prove faithful, he gives us more. He grows us. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16 with me because I want you to mark it in your Bible or highlight it on your electronic version of your Bible because this is Jesus speaking and Jesus says this in Luke chapter 16 verse 9, Luke 16, 9. Here's the lesson, he says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. And if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, Or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said that. And remember, we're following in his steps. When we learn to be generous with his stuff, he learns to trust us with more of his stuff. When we learn to be generous with it, not hoard it, not keep it to ourselves... We can do that. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our life, our investment in the world around us. Historically, in the church, all the way back to Jesus, through the many centuries and a couple millennia, the church has been the most consistent, sacrificial example of serving to benefit the world around us. I know there are stories of the church doing bad things and, and, uh, and, and, and taking over lands and misusing the name of the Lord. But overall... Take out all of the bad stuff and you will see that there have been thousands upon thousands of followers of Jesus Christ who have given their life to serve in orphanages and to build hospitals and to help the poor and to spend time with a a job creation with people around them. Christians are the most generous people you can find if they're following Jesus. And I know that there are people that are, call themselves Christians that are not generous. But if we're like Jesus, we will follow his example. And by the way, generosity isn't losing. It's investing without strings attached. We don't do it to get something back. We don't do it to prop up ourselves. We don't get it, do it to get more likes on Facebook. We do it because Jesus benefits the world around us. We do it for good. We step toward God's possible in other people's lives. I wanna take a minute to brag about Emmanuel and celebrate what God has done through our church. For years, we've invested in the next generation and hurting people and people find help at our church. Even our logo has a cross that somewhat resembles the red cross that you would see. We're a hospital that God has come to heal people's wounds and raise them up and send them out strong into the world. But I want to give you a little taste, a small taste of what God is doing right now through our people. This week on Tuesday, people from Team Emmanuel are going to be delivering gifts to teachers on all of our campuses at schools around our campuses because it's Teacher Appreciation. And so all of the schools in Spring Lake Park schools are going. To, the teachers are going to get gifts from Emmanuel, not because we want something back, but because we believe in them. And by the way, we pray for them on Wednesday night in our prayer services because teachers matter. They don't have to come to our church to matter, right? They love the next generation. And then in Maple Grove, they're, they're going to deliver it to the high schools and the Fernberg Elementary, and we're going to benefit the schools there. And in Elk River, Twin Lakes Elementary is going to receive gifts from Emmanuel Elk River. I'm so excited to invest in the teachers that are around us. We have a ministry here at our church called Wrapped in Love, and Sue Strobel leads it up where women make blankets and care packages for new moms in need, and every mom that needs it, maybe they don't have support at home, they hear from Emmanuel that we believe in you and we love you. We have a Samaritan fund here at the church where many of you have seen it in our offerings over time. But we have hundreds of people over time that have hit a hard place and lost a job, couldn't pay something and needed help for the day or for a week. And because you give every week, guess what? People through the Samaritan Fund, their needs are met and they can make it. I just met a lady the other day who God helped her out during a time through our Samaritan Fund and now she bought a house. And God's helping her take it to the next level in her story. But that's not it. Locally, we... To support missions around town and we help with different ministries that are helping at risk teenagers and people that are in homeless shelters and and we're helping with the event coming up with uh, My Starving Children in Somalia as churches throughout the Twin Cities are partnering together to believe in and, and help the people in Somalia that are in a a bad, bad uh, time of, of, of loss and drought and there's no food and people are dying. And by the way, all the hundreds, thousands of, of people that God has sent as immigrants to our city, many of them have come in and culturally they're Muslim. But they come to our, we're going to win them to Jesus while they're in Minnesota and not view them as, as somebody we don't give. But we can't even have the conversation. They're not going to show up in our church if we don't begin to care about the things they care about. And, and so we're going to do everything we can to help support them. And there's so many people, there are dozens of, dozens of people in our church that are foster care parents and have adopted children because they believe in the needs of the people that are around them. You guys are champions when you do that. I won't even ask for a show of hands cause I know you aren't doing it for applause. You're doing it cause you love people and you love these kids. And we have a single mom's retreat that's coming up and an Emmanuel women on Friday night gave in a clothing drive to help support that. I'm very proud of what God is doing there. And the last thing I wanted to mention that God has been doing because it's been happening for decades and maybe you didn't know it, but there's a guy in our church named Les Mayo. Les Mayo's been a head usher over the years and for many decades, he has, shaked, he has shook more hands in our church than anybody. Les is like the professional handshaker, Okay. For decades in our church, and God had used him back in his earlier days with his career where he had an ingenious engineering idea for, for something that was used on the moon. And our moon in NASA, and, and I mean, God is just, he's brilliant, right? Now he's in his 80s, but for all these decades since he retired, he's invested in those that are hurting. And he goes and he picks up bread that would have been thrown out one night, and he delivers it to people that need it. And now it's grown so much that people do it every Friday at our church, delivering it to people that would not otherwise have that that bread. Les Mayo is a hero in our church and he's got the heart of God. He really does. Here's here's the thing. See what I'm saying? I'm not talking about just giving a tithe in the church offering and that's generosity. A generous soul bases their life on God having control over it all, so they give. We have people here, I'm looking at Dale Pearson who served in prisons for decades, investing in prisoners in the cities around us. I've, I could look everywhere in the balcony, in the main floor. It's the love of Jesus that compels us to invest in the world that's around us. Not just in church, but in the world around us. And Proverbs eleven twenty five says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. See, when you are a generous person, you get your wind back in your own sails. But when you shrivel up and you lose that sense of generosity, it's as if you have no get up and go because it got up and left. You want to be refreshed, serve somebody, love somebody, and expect nothing in return. I want to talk about what that means, taking your life and using it to benefit those around you. Pastor Mark, would you come up here? Pastor Mark uh, has a practice with all of our worship teams and creative teams that he does a training and he keeps it in front of everybody. So all the singers, the people that are in the bands, and he emphasizes something about a difference between a stage and a platform. I want you to share that. In
4: our world today, there's no shortage of people who are there to prop themselves up. And when we look at what I stand on today, we think of it often in our world as a stage, right? A stage is a place that you showcase from. It's a place that you say, look at me. Hmm but we believe that it's actually a platform. The difference is significant because a platform is a place that you serve from. A platform is a position of influence. It's very different because when you look at a platform, it says, look at God. And every single one of us have platforms in our lives, and it's up to us whether we choose to see it as a stage or a platform. But I'll tell you, if I am appropriately using my platform, you're gonna see more of Jesus and less of me. And God never told us that we were going to be famous or rich. He never called us to that, but he did call us to be faithful. He called us to be faithful with what he's entrusted us with. And our perspective, it doesn't change what it is. I stand in the same place and I have the same opportunity. But when I choose to see it as a platform and I see it as an opportunity to serve somebody else rather than to serve myself, I'm in alignment with what God can do today.
1: Amen. Amen. So how can we look at our lives as generous people willing to use our platform, our job, our relationships, our house, what we do have to benefit the world around us? How do we live a life of purpose? Not just a Sunday of purpose, but a life of purpose. I want you to know you can have a harvest of generosity. There can be things ahead of you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says it this way. He says God will generously provide all you need. Starts with God owns it all and he provides, okay? Then, everybody said then. Amen. You know, when you see then, it's there for a reason. If God provides all you need, then you will always have everything you need. And plenty left over to share with others. And as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. And then produce a great harvest of generosity where? In you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. What's your platform? How's your soul? Do you need to yield or trust God with everything? God will provide seed and bread for you to eat. And he's ready to produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He wants to develop that in you. From your platform, we simply need to say, God, created me a generous soul. And then use me. I'll, I'll choose to be faithful with the little you give me now, trusting that you'll give me even more down the road. But Jesus said, If we try to chase it ourselves and we don't trust him, we'll lose our soul and cease to benefit the world around us. Would you stand?
0: Comedian Michael Jr. is hailed as one of today's most gifted comics, with appearances on The Tonight Show, Oprah, CNN, and more. His clean yet fresh approach of using everyday life occurrences creates a hilarious interaction with the audience that is unscripted and unplanned. Michael Jr. will be bringing the funny at manual in Spring Lake Park, Minnesota, on Sunday, May 21st at 5 p.m. For tickets, visit michaeljr.com.